facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. It is Monday. It is October the 16th, 2023, and so glad that you're with me for this hour of The Kale Clark Show. It's an hour of power, and you can join in right now by calling this number, 888-914-9149. That's our listener line sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters, 888-914-9149. You can also email the program, send me a show idea, comment, question, love to hear from you guys. And I I do have a few questions I'm going to be trying to get to this week that you guys have sent me. The email address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com, and you can find me on the Twitter slash X app at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Really, I'm going to start with this off the top. First of all, it's the anniversary. Father Rocky sent an email this morning reminding everybody in the Relevant Radio that Today is the anniversary of the election of Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul the Great. On this day, in 1978, he became Pope. The white puff of smoke billowed from St. Peter's, and heaven is papam, we had a Pope. And what a Pope he was, what a saint he was, transformed the 20th century. So we're going to talk about that later as well. I'm sure you guys all have your great memories of, of JP too. I certainly have mine. I'm going to share a favorite childhood memory of mine when I got to see him coming up later in the show. But speaking about childhood, I've I've been really thinking about this question, what should I tell my daughter about war? And there there is a lot of war going on in the world right now. We need to pray for peace, invoke the Queen of Peace, ask the Prince of Peace to to put an end to uh, the horrific events that are happening, Uh, the terror attack in Israel, of course, uh, everything that's happening in the Gaza Strip right now. And, of course, the ongoing war in Ukraine. So what, what do you tell kids about this? What, at what age do you, how can you explain this? I'm struggling with this because my daughter, Michaela, is seven this year. Uh, she's in second grade, and she's actually going to be receiving her first communion and first confession before that, which is obligatory, this weekend. So please pray for Michaela. I need all of you guys to pray for her, and she really appreciates that. So, uh yeah, so hey, uh, you'll hear from her again, uh, coming up with more kid jokes next month. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited for her. This is, a, this is a pretty incredible moment for her to uh, receive her first communion. But also, with everything that's going on in the news, I'm really struggling with, with what to say to her about all this stuff and when. And I happen to see an editorial piece about this in the New York Times this weekend. Uh, which, which was written by a member of their editorial board, Alex Kingsbury. And he was asking the same question. And the piece was called, What I Told My Daughter About War. So you can call in and tell me how you handled this, how your faith kind of informed this. How, how do you talk to your kids about this stuff? Very serious issues going on in the news. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. I could really use your advice. 888-914-9149. And so Alex Kingsbury, uh, his daughter, is also seven years old, just like Michaela. And he, and he wrote about this in the New York Times, and he said, quote, there comes a point in every child's life when he or she asks about war. My seven-year-old daughter reached that milestone this week. She asked, are there wars happening right now? And they were kind of working on a, a craft at the, uh, at the family kitchen table. And in his work uh, with the New York Times, Alex Kingsbury's had to write about war, violence, conflict all around the world, but he, he didn't really know how to answer his own seven-year-old's question about this. And 
and part of the part of the issue is what's the terminology that you use what's what's the vocabulary that you use to try to explain all this stuff and it's it's he also pointed out it's kind of a paradox because the truth of the matter is that 2023 is actually one of the more peaceful periods in all of human history but it doesn't seem like that at all it doesn't seem like that at all with what's going on uh, in eastern europe what's going on in the middle east because of the ubiquitous factor of social media because of the fact that essentially everybody has become a war correspondent or or war photographer if you're if you're living in those war-torn regions everybody's uploading things in real time not to mention the perpetrators of some of these atrocities like Hamas who who, who are broadcasting their barbaric acts in an effort to drum up support so with all of this going on we can kind of be lulled into this sense that this is one of the more violent periods that we've ever lived through but it's actually not the case historically speaking but it, but it is in our face all the time it is in our face all, all the time because of broadcast media social media and, and it's and so he just found this to be a conundrum because he said well on one hand his daughter is young enough to believe that the journalists Peter Parker and Clark Kent actually work with him in his office, but she's also old enough to know that something really serious is happening in the world. Something is incredibly important, and big people, adults, have been talking about this for quite a few days. And he also said that his his daughter's going to elementary school in Manhattan, and the school sent home kind of a, I don't know, some sort of a guide or, or he called it a tip sheet about how to help kids through situations like this, how, how, especially when they're feeling afraid because of stuff that they're hearing about, about wars. And this is the, the, the little tip sheet was provided by the American psychological association. And here, here's some quotes from it. It said, quote, you may wonder how you can teach your child to move beyond the fears that a time of war brings. The good news is that just as your child learns reading and writing, he or she can also learn the skills of resilience, the ability to adapt well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, or even significant sources of stress. And, and that's actually an interesting point, that resiliency is, is a life skill that we can learn, we have to learn. And actually, that, that's actually a good show topic for, for another time here on the Kale Clark Show. But uh, we'll, we'll deal with that in the future. But okay. And Alex Kingsbury was reading this, and he's like, okay, that's all well and good from the American Psychological Association, but that's not language that a child can understand. You haven't been able to translate this. Yeah, your child can learn resilience in the face of trauma and tragedy, but how? How do you, how do you explain this? So I'm asking you guys as listeners to the K.O. Clark Show, how did you guys talk about stuff like this with your children, whether you have grown children now or whether you're kind of dealing with it as well? How do you talk about this with a child? All the, all the things that are happening in the world, the, the, the tragedy of war, 888-914-9149 is the listener line, 888-914-9149, toll free on the Kale Clark Show. And here's the thing, the, the sad truth of the matter is that kid, a lot of kids in a lot of schools, and, and he points this out, it's true in his child's school, they're using iPads for educational purposes. I don't know whether they're internet connected, but with just a couple of swipes, these kids could be seeing ghastly images of, of all kinds of uh, 
you know what. I don't have to go into the details about what's been been shown on social media over the last few days, and and that can be incredibly uh, disturbing for 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 a child. So, and they just don't have the equipment to to understand this, to make sense of this necessarily, mentally, even spiritually. So it's not that they're, I mean, kids are really, really intelligent. And you guys who are parents, you know this. And I remember um, an educator once telling me about this long before I, I ever had a child of my own. And he said, kids are like a child's brain is every bit as sharp and as smart as an adult's brain. But what they're missing is like, think, think about it. Think how quickly kids can learn, for example, languages. If they're exposed to different languages in the home, maybe uh, one parent speaks a different language and they can pick things up really, really quickly. They're very, very sharp. But what they're lacking is the life experience. They're lacking the, the judgment that comes from the school of hard knocks, if you will, of just living a few decades in this life and all the formation that comes with that as well, religiously, psychologically, intellectually. So they, they can understand. It's just a question of how do you translate it into a language that they can understand. Um, and, and then, and I kind of identify with this because this guy's about, about my age. He talked about when, when he was a kid in 1991, the Gulf War. And I remember watching this unfold on, on TV, the events that were going on in Baghdad and um, Patriot missiles and smart bombs and all, all that stuff. And I remember thinking, this this is World War III, and I'm going to have to be drafted into this or something, and, and I, I'm going to have to go to war. I mean, that's that was kind of my thought as, as a teenager. I don't know if you guys uh, kind of went through this. but um, and, and it can be like, and at that time, I was a teenager. I was you know a little bit older, but it was still like pretty scary. I mean, hard, hard to process. Nothing that I'd ever experienced before. But... But I think if you're even a younger child, it's very, very difficult to understand. So as this conversation kind of unfolded over the kitchen table between Alex Kingsbury and his seven-year-old daughter, um, she did she did ask him, what, what's going on? Is there a war going on? What, what's happening? And he said, yes, 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 there is. Why do you ask? And she said she had heard something about it at school. And she also asked him, are there children in the war are there children in the war and she's like oh he's like man how, how do i how do i answer this uh, because she's she's never really experienced anything like that he said that the closest she's ever come to seeing death was they're kind of walking down second avenue in new york city and there was a homeless person who had died on the steps of a building and there were there were the police were kind of covering his body with a you know a blanket or whatever. There's an ambulance there, and he's just like, "Oh, just look at the flashing lights. Look at the lights." And he was trying to distract her. And, and another sad reality is that the second graders in her class in her Manhattan elementary school, um, they're doing quote unquote safety exercises. And later on, when they're older, they will call them by their actual name. They're they're active shooter drills, and it's sad that kids have to do that, but. This this help sheet from the American Psychological Association told said said to tell children they will be all right. Reassure them that they will be protected. And so I tried to kind of encourage her, just saying that these wars are happening. Yes, sometimes there are kids there, and everyone's very scared, but they're very far away. They're very very far away. 
And I don't know. It's, uh, it's, you know, by the way, that was kind of the end of the article. He didn't really even answer the question in terms of how, how did, how we should talk to kids about this. And, and maybe you can help me with that. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine is the number to call on the Kale Clark show. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Susie in Wisconsin. Hi, Susie. Hello. Hey, I had to deal with this. My daughter was actually probably one of the youngest in her class, so she was a uh, she was six in uh-huh. second grade when the uh, uh, trade towers fell down, mm. and so. Um, she came home from school that day and she's like, mom, some buildings, they said some buildings fell down. And so I guess my advice would be, uh, and it, it worked well for her is, and she's lucky she's got parents of faith, you know, so Mm -hmm. you, you can bring God into this and, but that, and we, uh, I guess we didn't have the social media or the brothers and sisters at school didn't have social media. So that. That does add a new factor, but we made sure not, and it was so hard because as an adult, you wanted, really, you just wanted to be glued in front of the television and see what was happening. Yeah. So we made sure that we had no television on. We, we just mm. didn't, we didn't watch and watch it over and over and yeah. over those buildings falling down. And then That's another thing idea. we did is when she asked questions, we answered them in a way, um, you know, that she could understand. Mm -hmm. And then they usually have one or two more questions and then that's satisfied. It's like, it's like Mm. anything they're asking questions about. And I, I do think that when mom and dad aren't nervous and scared and all upset about this, Mm -hmm. she'll take that tone, uh, from her parents and, and I would be, I would just say, if you if you have more questions, when you have more questions, you ask ask mom and dad, you know, um, mm-hmm. because you you don't want you don't want them asking their second grade buddy that has a sixth grade brother, you know, kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah, and yeah. I I think that she will be um, just fine dealing with this, and they they are resilient. She's smart. I had an only child too. It seems like they're little really whippersnappers because there's nobody else. <laughs> they're hanging out with know, adults all the time. <laughs> for attention. And so, yeah, it's like they're, they're Johnny on the spot, but as long as you're, you're willing to uh, continue to answer questions that mm-hmm. she may have and that she does feel safe. I, I had told your call screener that I think, I think they sent home the same pamphlet 20 plus years ago. Really? Yeah, they probably uh, did. Yes. Yeah, it was about resilience and, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah. Um, it, and yeah, we Susie, had a great second grade teacher, luckily, you know, so I don't mm-hmm. know what kind of access you have to the teacher. Uh, we had mm-hmm. a very mature, uh, you know, she had probably been teaching 30 plus years by this time. And yeah. um, those, you know, she kept those children safe within the classroom also. And so yeah. that. That's a good point. That Susie. was good. That, that's a great point. That's a great phone call, Susie. I appreciate that. And yeah, because this is going to come up in school, not just in the home as well. So if the teacher is well equipped to, to handle it well, that that's that's absolutely a plus. And I, I like what what you said in terms of, and, and this is something that the the American Psychological Association says as well. I think it's kind of a general truth that that they have a need to feel safe, and and so if we can make them feel safe, that that's really really important. And I think just the way that you're reacting to things, they pick up on that. 
body language, even just in, in terms of any interpersonal communication, it's 60% body language, if not more. Um, what you're saying is important as well, but they're going to pick up on the, on the total package. And so just trying to stay calm. I like the idea of turning off the TV because this, this can be an endless stream. I remember this, this happened to me when, when the war in Ukraine started that for the first couple of days, I just could not stop watching clips on on Twitter and, and everything that people were posting because it was, it was the first time really that to, in my, in my memory, at least that, that a war was unfolding in real time and people were posting continuous updates. Whereas before, like for example, 1991 with the Gulf war, you had to wait for the evening news to come on and, and everybody could like watch it at that time, but it wasn't a 24 seven thing. There weren't all the, uh, all the 24 seven, 365 news networks. There wasn't social, social media. And so I do think you have to tear yourself away from it. And at the end of the day, you will know what you need to know just from checking the news, maybe every once, once or twice a day, but not letting it kind of overwhelm you. I think is really important as well. That, that's a great phone call from from you, Susie in Wisconsin. Appreciate that. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. I think also just part of sort of related to this whole discussion is there. There may be some other ways to kind of introduce kids to the topic of, for example, this kind of factors into good and evil and, and sin and things like that. And Hey, like I said, Michaela's going to make her first confession this weekend, so she, she asked, she's of the age of reason, so she knows about sin and might even be guilty of a couple little things here and there. But I can't, I can't imagine that with Michaela. But having said that, we all need confession. That there's no question about it. But even kids' stories, Hansel and Gretel, you know, Lord of the Rings, you know, when they're old enough to start reading things like this, can kind of introduce them to to topics of uh, serious issues like like the, the reality of, of evil movies even maybe um superhero stuff i mean there's always a bad guy right whether it's the joker or i'm not suggesting you know the dark knight is something a, a seven-year-old should watch by any stretch of the imagination but but age-appropriate type stuff that that can help too and i i also found something interesting too that somebody posted in one of the comments about this guy's piece in the new york times and actually, of all people, Mr. Rogers. I shouldn't say of all people, because he, he makes sense as somebody who would have a good take on this. Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers. Here's how he actually helped children deal with tragic events. He had some, and again, this isn't from a religious perspective necessarily, but um, very practical, really practical. Uh, he really had six little points that he tried to communicate. He said, number one, give your child extra comfort and physical affection, hugs, snuggling as you read a favorite book together. Again, this this whole idea of providing security. Um, they need that. They need that. Obviously, it strengthens the family as well uh, when you give your kid a hug, those bonds. Number two, try to keep regular routines because obviously children thrive on routine. When routine is thrown off, it, it can create a huge monkey wrench, especially when they're really young. Even adults, we, we need routine as well. We need these rhythms of life. Um, and as long as that stays regular, it can be kind of an anchor. Number three, plan something that you can enjoy together and kind of take your mind off of things. Could be going on a picnic, doing something fun and can help you feel better. Number four, and even if children don't mention Mr. Rogers said what they've seen or heard in the news, it can help to ask them what they think 
has happened, what they think is going on. Because sometimes as parents, you don't want to bring things up. It's better left alone. She may not know what's going on, or my son may not know what's going on, that sort of thing. But if you don't bring it up, they might already have an opinion about this that they've heard from a friend or from school, and, and they might be they might have a lot of misconceptions about it. So you can kind of help um, kind of uh, correct some of the, the erroneous notions they might have heard from others. Number five, a couple more things that Mr. Rogers said. Focus on the helpers, the police, the doctors, the paramedics, anybody who's helping in a, in a tragedy. That's kind of reassuring for kids to know that there are people who are trying to help. There are people who, who care and are trying to provide relief. And number six, if you're doing something to help, even if, it, if it's, and this is a big thing, it's not a little thing, to pray for peace, praying the rosary. Maybe you're joining in the Divine Mercy Chaplet on Relevant Radio or the Family Rosary Across America. If you're writing a letter to a, a newspaper editor, if you're doing something to help on the local level, getting food, supplies, raising money for, for relief, that can help kids to know that there are different ways to help. And you can do something and, and not give in to helplessness or despair, and that, that we can take action. I think that's, that's really, really important uh, for kids. I thought that was really practical stuff from Fred Rogers there. So anyway, so I, I thought there's really an interesting topic as we uh, enter into this Monday because people are asking questions, young and old, alike. And like I also said, today is the anniversary of the election of Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul the Great, uh, elevated to the papacy on this day in 1978. And man, there's a guy who has seen a lot of evil and suffering in his lifetime growing up. So he, it's, it's, it's comforting to know, too, in, in a strange way that we tend to think sometimes our own our own times, what we're going through, what the world is going through, is unique, and that this has never happened before, and nothing this bad has ever happened before, but that's absolutely not the case. And how others have heroically responded in the face of these challenging times, times like ours, can really be encouraging to us. And that's really what I think the life and witness of the saints can do for us. And speaking of the saints, by the way, I got to tell you, Peter Atkinson, the Merry Beggars, good job. Michaela is totally hooked on the Saint series that you put forth. It's, it's, it's really, again, about great role models for us. This is the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Got to take a quick break right now, but we'll be back with all of that and much more. The number to call, 888-914-9149. Comment, question, 888-914-9149. Be right back. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program on this day. It's October the 16th, 2023. So glad you're with me. You can call this number right now, 888-914-9149. It's our studio line, it's our toll-free line for The Kale Clark Show, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. Get a line. And call me right now, 888-914-9149. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone. Hey, today, on this day, not, not today, but in 1978, when I was but a young pup, 
Cardinal Wojtyla became John Paul II, Pope John Paul II. This is the day that he was elected as Pope, and, and what a world-changing Pope he was. And, and talk about somebody who lived through some of the worst evils humanity had ever seen. I remember, I don't know if you guys remember this, but when I was a kid, okay, this is like, I was about 10 or 11 years old, 1984, when the Pope came to North America. And I grew up in, in Nova Scotia, and he came to Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I remember we went to the Papal Mass. It was pouring rain, pouring rain, as it often does. For some reason, a lot of JP2 events, it was always pouring rain. And he uh, he said, we thank God for this baptism. I remember that. Um, that was my horrible impersonation of JP2. Having said that, he drove right past us pretty much in, in the Pope Mobile. Uh, and I was just, I remember just being wowed by that. And it's just incredible that, that he was with us. And in, in the lead up to the papal visit, they were, they were giving out at my local parish, Pope John Paul II comic books. I don't know if you guys remember this, but Marvel comics actually did a Pope John Paul II comic book. And it was really good. It was really, really good. And I remember reading it thinking, man, this is unbelievable. It was such a dramatic story, his life story. And I remember in particular being struck about when uh, when he was, uh, I think this was in like 1944, he was actually hit by a truck, like a, a, a Nazi truck, like a full of soldiers. And he, he was hit by this truck. And I don't know whether they just didn't realize they hit a guy. They, they just kind of kept going. And he just went into the ditch and he could have, died right there. There was another time when he was a kid, he was hit by a streetcar. He also survived, not to mention the assassination attempt in 1981 by uh, Mehmet uh, Ali Aga. And, and then later on, the Pope very dramatically, and if you've seen the photograph of this, you probably have. It's iconic. Maybe the most iconic photograph in my mind of the, of the 20th century. When JP2 went to the prison uh, where Ali Aga was, was, um, was interred, and he met with him and spoke with him at length one-on-one -on -one and, and forgave him for, for the attempt on his life. And, of course, that was on May the 13th. And he always said that Our, Our Lady of Fatima redirected the bullet. And we talked on Friday because it was October the 13th about the miracle of the sun, Our Lady of Fatima. So he, he saw his papacy is very, very tied in uh, with God's plan for the world and trying to foil the plans of the enemy for the world, which is obviously to try to separate us from God for, for all eternity. And he had a, he had a very, very, um, he was obviously very optimistic and, and full of hope, but he had every reason not to be humanly speaking. And, and this is something that we always have to, to keep in mind that our cheerfulness has to be supernatural in the face of these events, these tragedies that are unfolding all around the world. And, and, uh, I mean, I'll bookmark this for, for later, but I, I've had to kind of figure out how do I not think about this or how do I not give in to despair with everything that's going on? I think he can kind of help us with that too as we ask for his intercession, St. John Paul the Great. And his, his by the way, his, um, his father was, uh, was also a soldier. Uh, he fought in World War I uh, for Polish uh, freedom. And... They were, they were also really unique in their neighborhood, the Wojtyla family, because they, they didn't share the anti-Semitic views of a lot of their neighbors. And in fact, there used to be soccer games that would 
that would take place in the neighborhood, and it was always Catholics versus the Jews, and there wasn't always enough Jewish kids to form a side, and young Carol Wojtyla would actually play for the Jewish side, and he would volunteer, and he, and he would play, and try to, try to make friends and, and create understanding. And so he lost his mother, Carol Wojtyla, the young future pope, uh, even though he was a great student, great athlete, as we all we all kind of know about his exploits as an athlete, he used to as an athlete uh, of sorts, he used to love camping, skiing. There's all these great stories about how he snuck out of the Vatican to go skiing. He was kind of in disguise, and he would he would take some security people with him, and but they try to keep it on the down low, and he would sneak out of the Vatican and go on skiing trips. And there was this great story, but one time a little kid recognized him, and he was just kind of like, he's like, "You're the Pope." Man. <laughs> He was just like, you know, don't don't say anything, don't say anything. But I think the kid said something, and people, the word started to spread. It was kind of like when the Lord said, "Hey, don't tell anybody about the healing," and then they would always blab, and then the crowds would come, and it be, be, become a crowd control issue. And, and that's kind of what happened with, with JP too. But he would take young adults on these camping trips, young couples, and that's really where he started developing a lot of the ideas that he put forth in theology of the body and some of his other documents on, on human love. And it was really, really uh, formative for him. But speaking of his own parents and, and the love that they had, his mother uh, tragically uh, died of heart, kidney problems in 1929. It was just a month before Carol Wojtyla turned nine years old. And then to add to that devastation, when he was only 12, his brother Edmund, and his brother Edmund was a really respected doctor, a physician, and he died of scarlet fever uh, at the age of 26, and the future pope was only 12 when his brother died. And and one of his uh, childhood friends said that, really, Carol Wojtyla, he kind of lost his childhood at that point when he was only 12. He, when his brother died, that was like kind of the end of his childhood. He, he had to grow up very, very fast. And, and his friends would say that there was always kind of a seriousness about him. He was really concentrated, very passionate very noble person of character, but there was no sort of what they called folly, the folly of youth, if you will. It, I mean, he, he knew what what could happen in life. He knew the gravity of life and death, you know, at that young age, and not to mention his own near death being hit by a streetcar, and then the 1944 episode, when he was a college student, he got hit by a Nazi truck. And and then, of course, he, he went into the underground seminary, uh, knowing that he could be marked for death. And, and he, he was into the theater, obviously founded an underground theater company, acted in plays, you know, kind of the merry beggars. You guys can use him for, you know, as a patron saint for your work. And he, he was apparently a great actor, a very, very great actor with a lot of potential, and a great singer too. And, and that kind of theatricality, if you will, I think played well. And he used that. He tapped into that. God tapped into that, those skills that he had when he became Pope because he made so many dramatic gestures uh, during his pontificate, which really did help to usher in the end of, of communism and um, just he was such a such a towering figure. And so just, I mean, the, the way he lived his faith, it's, it was incredibly inspiring. And I wanted to share with you some, some things that he said. And like I, like I told you off the top, he also was intimately familiar with with great evil. I mean, growing up in Poland, he has to deal with the Nazi invasion, and then the Soviets, who obviously fought against the Nazis in World War II, then they come in with their communist regime after that, and so Poland suffered under communism until 1989. 
And when he was a young bishop, too, before, before he even became pope, the, the territory that he was responsible for actually included Auschwitz, uh, the notorious death camp um, of the Nazis. And, and so he, he often thought about that, especially when he wrote his first encyclical, Redemptor Ominous, uh, The Redeemer of Man, all about Christ. And it was really not just about Christ, but how Christ brings humanity dignity, um, human rights. And so he, he actually went to, to Auschwitz in 1979, right, the year after he, he got elected as Pope. And he said, uh, quote, It is well known that I have been here many times, so many times, it was impossible for me not to come here as Pope. End of quote. And so, yeah, when he grew up, even, um, he grew up in Vadovis, uh, which is about 35 kilometers from, from Auschwitz. Um, so he was well aware of the evil uh, that men could do, for sure. And he was also the first um, pope, by the way, to, to visit uh, the synagogue of Rome. Had an incredible uh, visit there. And uh, actually, here, I have a quote from him that uh, from that visit. If I can find it. Uh, can't find it. But having said that, he uh, obviously was, uh, he, he leaned very heavily on the example of Maximilian Kolbe and how um, when, he, uh, when he came to Auschwitz, he talked about, and that's where Kolbe died, St. Maximilian Kolbe, gave his life for another person. He said, I, I come and kneel on this Golgotha of the modern world. He was talking about Auschwitz. On these tombs, largely nameless, like a great tomb of the unknown soldier. And he said uh, also that it would be a great sign of heaven as though the Heavenly Father himself pointed his finger at this contemporary Calvary of the human family. And from this cross is born salvation. Wow, just, just really powerful words uh, about Kolbe, about Auschwitz, and um, what he called the dramatic apocalypse of our century. And so just to... Uh, to, to be able to live through those those things and, and not lose hope and just have total confidence in the person of Jesus Christ and, and and the freedom that he can bring and the truth about humanity that we don't have without looking at Christ, the God-man. He, ta- he shows us what how we should live and, and what it can what what life should be. And, and also this this whole he said when he was at Auschwitz, he said, look, he said, quote, the most difficult experiences for me have been spared by providence. And by that he means he wasn't actually ultimately killed as so many others were. But he says, these victims on the great altar of history have contributed in some way to my vocation to the priesthood. In a sense, they introduced me to this path, the light of the victims. And in the light of the victims appeared to me the truth, the deepest and most essential truth of the priesthood of Christ, end of quote. Wow, that's really powerful stuff because Christ was priest and victim. And, and he was the, the, the only priest who offered the sacrifice of himself on the cross uh, for the sins of humanity. And so there's just so many overwhelming things to think about when you think about Pope John Paul II. But I'm sure that uh, you guys have your reminiscences of him and powerful moments that that happened in his life, things that God did through him that affected you. What's your favorite memory of JP too? You can call in and tell me that too. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Clementine in Baltimore. Hello, Clementine. 
Hello. I have nothing really profound to say um, about John Paul, Pope John Pope St. John Paul too, I do remember okay. when he visited America and he stood on the steps of his balcony. I guess his hotel balcony. Hmm. And the, the young people were shouting, John Paul II, we love you. Mm. And he yeah. shouted back, John Paul II loves you too. <laughs> it was so beautiful. It is. Oh yeah, absolutely. Denver because he was a, um, took care of the young people there mm. when they had uh, the young people. I guess it was World Youth Day in Denver. It was the first World yep. Youth Day there was. And well, I remember my, my wife went to that World Youth Day, too, and she was um, quite moved by it. And uh, So you, you also wanted to, did you want to share, share, share something about the World War II years as well? I've got a little note here that, I was born in 1937. That kind of says it all. But mm. I don't remember being fearful as a little child walking around. Of course, all we had is radio. We didn't mm -hmm. have the scenes on the television. Yeah. Uh, I think that the only thing I feared was I did know there was something bad going on and mm -hmm. a war and soldiers. My father was an air raid warden. Um, I do remember being a little bit fearful that my father may have to go off to war. Right. Of course, that was out of the question since there were four of us, children, and they didn't take people like that had families like that. Mm. You know. Also, we lived in a Jewish neighborhood, hmm. and we loved our neighbors. We loved them. Some of them were better Christians than some of the Christians, so that I have encountered I hate to say that, but it's true. Um, also, we lived across the street from a synagogue, and that was exciting, seeing the people go in on Saturday, and mm. uh, they blew the chauffeur, is that what it's called? The oh, the chauffeur, horn. yeah. Mm -hmm. The yeah, horn. Yes, yeah. so that was also exciting to experience that, even though I never did go inside. And mm -hmm. then I do remember, of course, we had newspapers then. Yeah. Extra, extra, read all about it. I mean, that's yeah. really true. Yeah, that, that's that. Yeah, that's wow. And it, it's amazing that you, you've lived through all of that, Clementine. And I appreciate that call. And by the way, I did, I did find that, that quote uh, from John Paul II when he, uh, in 1986, he visited the synagogue of Rome. It was the first time that a pope ever did this. And he spoke these famous words. He said, you are our dearly, dearly beloved brothers, and you can say our elder brothers. And this, this idea that, um, that obviously the Catholic faith springs from Judaism, and, and as many Jewish converts to the faith will tell you, I've spoke about Roy Shoman and people like that. It's, it's Judaism with the Messiah having come, realizing that Christ is the Messiah. And uh, even... Um, the Second Vatican Council talked about the bond that the Church has with Judaism, and it and it actually there's a document that says the Jewish religion is not for our religion an external reality, but it's something internal, and that it's it's all springing from from God, and the plan was always to open up the one faith, uh, the one true faith to all the peoples of the world. 
uh, the Gentiles as well as the Jews coming together in one body, the church, and that was always God's plan from Abraham, and it obviously uh, comes true in Jesus Christ. Clementine, thank you so much for that call. We've got to take a quick break right now on the show, but you can call in as well if you're listening, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back on The Kale Clark Show. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. It's our listener line toll-free to talk to me. 888-914-9149. I also want to remind you that coming up, November, our Novena for the Holy Souls. It's really, really important because in November, we're going to celebrate the lives of our friends and family who have passed away. And we want to pray for their entry into the kingdom of heaven. You can submit up to 20 names of your departed loved ones. And we will pray for them. Just go to relevantradio.com slash souls. That's relevantradio.com slash souls. You also, when you go there and sign up, you're also going to receive some reflections from Father Rocky every day of our novena for the holy souls. And that will help you to pray for them ever more deeply. So tell your friends, tell your family. They can also add the names of their loved ones. And hey, it's 20 per person, so just grab a few friends and you can get as many names out there as possible. We'll pray for them all. So add the names, and then you can join us throughout the day on November the 2nd as we begin this novena, the 2nd through the 10th of November. It's going to happen through Daily Mass. Also, the Divine Mercy Chaplet, live streamed every day at 3 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio. And, of course, the Family Rosary Across America at 7 p.m. Central. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Annie in Winchester, Virginia. Hi, Annie. Hi, how are you, Kale? I'm doing well, doing well. Thanks for calling. Good. Um, I just, I love the conversation that you guys are having, and I just wanted to call and share. Um, I have a preschooler and a second grader. And, um, one thing about just sharing about how we talk to our kids, um, when we read the Bible, we try and correlate it with things, um, that are happening today Mm -hmm. or things that are doing that. So like ever since they were little, I mean, they're still little, but ever Mm -hmm. since they were really little, we'd read like Noah's Ark and we talk about, God's promise, and then we would talk about how, you know, the Bible says things are going to be like in the days of Noah, you know, but that we can hold on and have hope, and we'll read like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Mm -hmm. and then we'll talk about somebody from history, like um, even Corey Ten Boone, you know, Mm -hmm. how she would do things and how God was really faithful, or Elijah and the widow of Zarephath and talking about how God multiplied their food and he was faithful and he's done that in these instances too. And so then these conversations about hard things that are happening in the world are a little bit easier to have, but we don't have like a TV or anything, so they don't see images, but we can still talk to them or say like, hey, you know, this happened in the Ukraine, let's pray for them, or let's help take care of them and send money or do this. So, Yeah, exactly. Like we were saying earlier, Annie, just this whole idea of if we, we can do something, we can, we can pray, we can uh, try to send resources. There, there's so many things that we can do so that we're not passive in the face of this. We're not resigned to some sort of, oh, it's just our fate. We, no, we, we can try to alleviate the suffering as much as we possibly can. And so that's, that's really important. And actually, on that note, stay on the line for a second, Annie. Because on, on that note, 
there is something that we can do for the situation that's taking place in the Holy Land right now. As you probably are aware, uh, the U.S. bishops and all of the heads of churches in the Holy Land, they're inviting all people tomorrow for a day of prayer and fasting. Now, of course, this is optional, and you know, if you've got health issues and things like that, um, the fasting, it's kind of the same thing. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a mandatory type of fast, like, for example, on Ash Wednesday, for those that are eligible for that, but there is a day of prayer and fasting tomorrow, Tuesday, October the 17th, for peace in the Holy Land. So you might also be, be aware of the fact that Father Rocky is going to offer the family rosary across America tonight and tomorrow night for this intention as well. Tomorrow's Mass also. So we really have to ask Our Lady Queen of Peace to pray for us and ask the Prince of Peace uh, to, to move and uh, uh, to move people's hearts. And I also think it's kind of, I had, I, I had, I kind of enjoyed this, the fact that the cardinal who called this for this fast in the Holy Land is Cardinal Pizzabala. Car- and I'm not making that up. It's Cardinal Pizzabala. Cardinal Pizzabala has called for a fast. There's, there is some humor in that. And you might say very little humor, but I, I thought it was kind of ironic. And <laughs> hey, you know my sense of humor, guys. You, you know, you know what makes me laugh. And, uh, but it's, um, it's something that we can do. It's something we, we can, and I, and I also love, Annie, what you said in terms of relating Bible stories to what's going on in the world. That, that's, that's a great gift to be able to share the scriptures with your kids, to be able to just get them thinking along those lines, have, the Bible, you know, preachers used to talk about having the Bible on, on one hand and the newspaper on the other hand and, and, and trying to relate uh, the eternal truths of God to what's going on every day. That's, that's a life skill to, for, for kids to understand that we can apply some of the, the great lessons from heroes of Scripture, from our faith, to the struggles that we have every day. And, Annie, I think you're, that, that is a great phone call. Really, really appreciate that. Thanks for calling in. Call back anytime, okay? Thank you. Yeah, you got it. That's Annie in Winchester, Virginia. Let's go to Carol in somewhere in California. Hi, Carol. Where are you calling from today? Hi, from Menifee. Okay, fantastic. Menifee. Oh, yeah. What I want to tell real quick was I always want to tell the story is I went up to Toronto to see him when he came in. I don't know if you remember Mm -hmm. that. I do. Yes, I live in Toronto. Yeah, Yeah, second. So when I got my family to go, I got them to go because we went over there to the casino. And then they go, go across the bridge, you know, so I'm driving over to the bridge or over to uh, Canada. Well, here when we got there, uh, all the Filipinos there were praying and this and that. And all of a sudden, the downpour, it came to rain. I don't know if you remember that. And here the helicopter showed up. And I mean, it was they, they were turning their umbrellas uh, you know, were upside down. And my, my sister's hat was full of water. And when he showed up in that helicopter... My legs got weak, and the rain stopped. And they had to leave. You know, they couldn't stand it anymore. So we walked out to the uh, to the rest of the going back to the car, getting through eight hundred thousand kids because it was a youth mm. group, yeah. and uh, it was dry as a bone. Well, here the wow. next thing I went home and told the family that, and I wrung out this bandana I had and showed my sister that didn't go how much water my sister was saying yeah yeah and here uh eight years later uh, a priest came on the uh ewtn and explained it that that's what happened it was like the fatima eight years later 
I heard that on EWTN. Yeah, Carol, let me jump in there. That's really interesting. Yeah, we talked about the miracle of the sun on Friday. So if you did, if you missed that episode, check the podcast because uh, an incredible public miracle, maybe the biggest public miracle since New Testament times. And like, like I said, when the Pope showed up, there was for some reason it always rained, uh, it seemed. And, uh, uh, when he came to Canada and in some places in the U.S. as well. But, yeah, a little stoppage of the rain there. I love that. All right, let's go to uh, – I appreciate that, Carol. Thank you so much. Let's go to uh, Stasha in Austin, Texas. Hi, Stasha. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good, yes, good. Um, I, I'm from Poland and from Krakow, actually. Wow. And we lived in, um, in Krakow by then when JP2 elected, was elected pope and – since that day, this is like a national holiday. That mm. day, October 16th, is a day that everybody remembers because when JP2 was um, elected Pope, our media just went silent. Mm. There was nothing on TV or radio. Or the communist media. All need, media was silent. They just didn't get any directives from, east, from the East. Uh, about what to do with that fact hmm. now. They were probably so, terrified, so there was like one. somber music. <laughs> <laughs> but but the um, operators were calling customers and telling them, did you know we have a Pope and his, this is Cardinal Wojtyla. Wow. Let me ask you this. What, what, did the pe- what was the feeling among the people? Oh, my gosh. It was just elation and, you know, we just found out by the word of mouth, neighbor to neighbor, and then everybody left for the main plaza in Krakow. The bells were ringing. All the churches wow. were full. People were joyful singing for the first time. Wow, that's incredible. There was, there was hope. Years. There was hope, and they lost their fear. Scared to be ourselves in public. Not wow. then. Then the fear broke. Oh, that, that, is, that is so powerful. That is so powerful that uh, you were there in Poland when, when the news came out that he was elected Pope, one of your very own, and, and how that changed the world. JP2, we do love you. Pray for us up there in the Father's house. This has been the K.O. Clark Show. Jim Shaper produced. Miranda Sinisaros took your phone calls. Stay tuned to Relevant Radio. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.